Hi, this is the Robberator, and you can support my mad grab for power and the Sword and Laser podcast by going to patreon.com slash sword and laser. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. And today, we're doing that first one you mentioned, an author interview. Yes, we are extremely happy to welcome back onto the show author Brian McClellan. Brian, thanks for being here. Hi there. Thanks for having me on. Of course. If you have not encountered Brian before for some odd reason, uh, he's an epic fantasy author from Cleveland, Ohio, known for the Powder Mage universe and essays on the life and business of being a writer. And of course, the newest book in the Powder Mage universe, Sins of Empire, is out now. Brian, tell us a little bit about this book. So, Sins of Empire is the culmination of about uh, two years' worth of work. It's the first book in a new series set in the Powder Mage universe. Um, and that's that's a little different just because it's uh, a book that is meant for new readers and old readers. Uh-huh. And that's something that's kind of... I, ha- I kind of have to stress sometimes because people will say, oh, it's a book in a, an existing world. I have to read all the others. And that's not true at all. Um, it, uh, it takes place about 10 years after the end of the last series uh, on a different continent with a different set of characters. Um, and, you know, uh, familiar readers will see old friends um, and, you know, get to meet some people that they've loved before. Uh, but it's very much a different series uh, with a different conflict, different things going on. Um, you know, the I, I pitched to people, I pitched my my first series as a very Napoleonic uh, European early 1800s feel to it. Um, and, and that's what I had been going for when I wrote it. You know, I you know, it's got guillotines and muskets, big battles, things like that. Um, Sins of Empire is is almost uh, kind of across the ocean in our own real world. Uh, it's uh, the pitch for this one was uh, early America, uh, but it's run by a fascist government, and the Aztecs invade. Oh, <laughs> I, oh. I okay. So, but to be clear, that this world doesn't have Aztecs or America, right? It's just based on those. No, it's just based on those, um, and that was just the pitch that I gave to my yeah, editor yeah. when I was selling the books. Um, but that's the the feel that you're going to get from it yeah, versus yeah. my first trilogy. And they were like, wait. Brian, you're a fantasy writer. Why are you writing? Why are you writing historical fiction? Or <laughs> no, bad you can get joke, away. Bad joke. Sorry. You can get away with that kind of uh, that kind of pitch when you're just talking to your editor. Well, <laughs> I, I think one of the great things about this, and and certainly this isn't the first time this has been done, but if someone say read the first Powder Mage book and then didn't get to the others, uh, or someone has is wanting to jump in. Uh, they both could go right to Sins of Empire if they wanted to. It's it's. I know that publishers like series because you have a little bit of a built-in audience for each book, but then if you haven't read the first one, sometimes people don't want to jump in. So for someone who is one of those like, well, I feel like I should read them all in order, what would you say to get them to just jump in and try Sins of Empire uh, and then maybe go back and read the others? Uh, you know, I've been getting that. I've been getting various uh, variations on that question from readers. You know, I've been ha- having people ask me, uh, "Okay, I read Promise of Blood, but not the other two. I've I've read the first 
2, but not Autumn Republic, you know, things like that. And I, I tell people if they've just read Promise of Blood or if they haven't entered the universe yet, they can jump straight to Sins of Empire. Um, if they've already got the investment of the first two books in the Powder Mage trilogy, uh, I recommend that they just go ahead and finish the third book and then move on to Sins of Empire. Um, but, you know, I, that may be a little too complicated for some people. <laughs> or are you just like, hey, buttheads, just read all the books. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's ideal, isn't it? <laughs> well, I'd, we we talked to Terry Brooks about this one time where people kept asking him when they what what order they should read his books in uh, because he had so many trilogies and, and different series and he said really it doesn't matter I wrote each of them so that you could enter at any point and then go enjoy other ones uh, but people really get hung up on like what is the right order what is the optimal order uh, that and yeah and I had the same intention of going straight in uh, being able to start with this um, you know because I, I self-publish a whole bunch of kind of novellas short stories and things in the universe and I've been having people ask me about those too you know which of these do I have to read first and no you don't have to read anything first just go straight to Sins of Empire and get started and you know what if you loved that then you can go back and read everything else. And that's hard, too, because on, on sites like Goodreads, there's often a, a reading list, essentially, mm -hmm. of like the order that things are supposed to be read in. And so when you have this kind of, well, you can really do, do however you feel best about it, it I think people panic. I, th I feel like they, they feel like they're going to miss something, even <laughs> if you explicitly say like, no, no, it's, it's really fine. You're going to be fine. Yeah. And, and for me personally, it's, it's, it's a funny question because... I feel like I'm such a better writer uh, now uh, with Sins of Empire. You know, every author is going to say that their latest book was their best. You know, that's just kind of standard, you know, jargon. Uh, but I genuinely believe that, you know, Sins of Empire is my best book yet. Um, and so, like, it, in my head sometimes I have this idea of, like, no, wait, do I start them on Sins of Empire? And then they go back and they feel like, you know, Promise of Blood isn't quite as good? Or do I tell them to start with Promise of Blood on the risk that, you know, maybe they won't think the readings up to, writing's up to snuff and they won't get to the really good ones? And, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's a yeah, lot of pressure. That, that is very much a writer's way of looking at it, whereas most people are going to like pretty much all of them about the same or, or not, uh, in, in the same order, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, you know, and I, I have a, I, I have like a chronological reading list on my website, but everybody asks me the question, and so I just, depending on what they've read and their level of interest, I just answer them. You know, well, I honestly feel, I, I just want to say, I honestly feel like if you feel that Sins, uh, Sins of Empire is your best work, I would say tell them to start with that. And then if they want vintage Brian McClellan, <laughs> they can go back through the timeline. And then, you know, maybe they'll be, you know, they have no reason to be or need to be forgiving because it's an amazing book. But if you feel like you have that insecurity, you can be like, well, that's just my earliest work. You know, I was still finding my footing. I don't know. I think it's no. awesome, so I don't think you have anything to worry about. <laughs> well, thank you. No, that's that's pretty much how I feel, and that's how I've been responding. You know, it's uh, it's it's kind of a weird spot to be in when you're you know you've got a new book out, and you know for me, I, it's been two years since I've had a book out, so uh, you know I had those you know pre-release jitters uh, coming up the last couple of weeks, even though it was my fourth book. You know, you'd think I'd be a professional by now. 
<laughs> well, let's get to some of the questions we got submitted on Goodreads. Uh, Lauren says, I really enjoyed the names for the people as well as the places in the Powder Mage series, as well as in this book from reading the description. And she wants to know, how do you come up with your names? <laughs> um, sometimes it's like almost like a dartboard where there's a name I like, you know, I like the sound of, and I just use it. Um, other times, I one of my favorite things to do uh, to get a name that sounds very real world uh, is to go to Google Maps and zoom in on Eastern Europe huh. um, <laughs> and look at the names of the towns and the rivers and all those places and try to like kind of, you know, steal, uh, you know, suffixes, prefixes, things like that, and try to, you know, cobble together something that sounds real. Um, I, I'll also go to, you know, baby name websites and, uh, and do the same thing. I tend to kind of co focus on Eastern Europe because um, that's the feel I want. Uh, and sometimes I'll steal names straight up. Sometimes I'll cobble together names. Um, when I, I got to go to uh, Budapest last year and I did a signing there that was fantastic. And, and it was funny because the readers were coming up to me and, you know, in, in Promise of Blood, you know, the capital city is Adapest. And, and they loved that it sounded like their city. Mm -hmm. And they they loved that there were a bunch of Hungarian names um, in the book. Uh, you know, I, one of the main characters is Field Marshal Tomas. And I met like four people named Tomash. Uh, <laughs> and they thought that was awesome. Ooh, I just found a good one. Dabas. Oh, that's, that's a good near, one. That's near Budapest. Yeah. Davos. Like, that's, yeah, that sounds like it could be someone's first or last name from your series. That's pretty cool. That's a really good. I tried to, uh, so I had to, like, do a, a product mock-up earlier today, and I had to come up with, like, names, and I actually went to one of those name generator things, and I, I just didn't, like, mark off any of the filtering, and I just, it, it spit out the craziest fantasy name I've ever seen before, and I'm like, mm, that's a little too obvious that I came up <laughs> with this. Like, that's not gonna, that's not gonna fly on the website, unfortunately, but I like, I like your method a lot better. That's, that's a pretty good way to do it. Well, I get I get pretty turned off by like the um, the fantasy names from I, I don't know if you'd call it the fantasy names of your you know the stuff where you're you're looking through like Conan the Barbarian and things mm -hmm. like that and and the names are are incredibly ridiculous um, and and I. I like the idea behind trying to make a fantasy name sound as foreign as possible, but when you it sounds too foreign, the reader doesn't have anything to grasp onto. Um, and I think that even in something as small as a name, uh, some familiarity uh, makes it easier for a reader to enter a universe. Silvana has our next question and asks, what is your process in developing the magic system and why you chose gunpowder is are there plans to write more novels in this universe or me maybe another universe and then Silvana also has to work in that she really loves vlora some people apparently don't like her so i can't wait to read about her again <laughs> um yeah so so it, i mean it's been let's see it's been five six years since i uh developed the the gunpowder magic. Uh, that was something that I did with my wife. Uh, together, we we kind of worked through this idea. We were trying to come up with a something new and interesting, um, and uh, we had 
we've been watching several shows that you know has kind of already got this this setting percolating in my brain um one of them was sharps rifles uh the old uh bbc series with sean bean mm-hmm. um i think it was bbc uh and uh and another was full metal alchemist brotherhood the anime um and and we we love the aesthetics of those shows and we we ta- talked about putting a fantasy world in that like kind of a setting that was similar to that and it was it was almost like i don't even know how it came up but it seems so natural um I, I think it was my wife that first said well what about gunpowder magic and it just there wasn't even a discussion it just you know, moved in from there and we you know kept going when we first talked to you, I remember thinking how brilliant this was as a steampunk fantasy magic device. And and the more I think about it, the more sense it does make. I, I can see where where you you're you're looking at it and like, well, yeah, powders. You know, powders are something that wizards and and magicians have always used to to create a puff of smoke. And what creates a puff of smoke more so than gunpowder? Like it it all seems to fit somehow. Yeah, it was so. It was one of those things that seemed so brilliant to me at the time um, that I was shocked when I couldn't find anybody else that had used it already. Uh That's the sign of a good idea, I think. And uh, speaking of powders, uh, Darren has to ask the the question on everyone's mind. Have you ever done a line of gunpowder? Would that <laughs> I actually kill someone? I, I have not, and I, I don't think that's a great idea. It's <laughs> probably a very bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Uh, Sky wants to add to Darren's question, though. I am interested in any personal research he has done on gunpowder, like stimulants, as well as their withdrawal effects. Um, you know, I, I I say this a lot, and um, but I, I get I don't like research. Yeah. Um, I like to do as little work as possible when it comes to mm-hmm. writing. Like, I because uh, one of the things I don't like doing extra work for one thing. Uh, another thing is that when I'm writing, I don't research. Kind of derails the momentum I have of putting words on paper. Um, and so when I do have to research, it'll often be a note somewhere in the text saying, get back to this later, or I'll ask Michelle, my wife, to go find something for me and figure out a way to make it work. Um, so uh, I, when it came to like things like gunpowder, guns, and stuff, I've got a buddy of mine who uh, the, actually, in the book, The Rush Rifle, uh, is named after him. Uh, he's an old high school buddy of mine who's kind of a gun nut um, and manages a gun store now. And he was just a perfect resource for me to go to and talk to about um, about the, you know, kind of how people used guns and what the operations were and things like that. You know, I, I've never actually fired a flintlock rifle, uh, which sounds terrible to say because I really should. Wow, um, yeah. But, you know, I've, I, I watch a lot of YouTube videos. I talk to people I know that are knowledgeable. Um, I'll do some reading here and there. Um, you know, stimulants, it was really uh, just kind of real world knowledge. Mm. Um, just uh, nothing really deeper than that. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel the need to go to cocaine or anything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or, or visit a rehab center or something. Exactly. That interesting, yeah. I mean, yeah. I that would be difficult, but yeah. I, I, I my kind of, my rule is definitely if I have to put on pants, then it's too much research. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people will identify with that rule. I'm not wearing pants right now. Hannah wants to know, how does he keep track of all the details in your world? 
Um, you know, when I first started, the first book, uh, it may have even been the first two books, I did spreadsheets. And spreadsheets are great until they're not anymore. Mm. And by what I mean by, by that is that I eventually you have so much information. And as you write, that information is being updated constantly. Um, that spreadsheets... Unless you're really a stickler for detail, uh, it's just it's too much. It's too much to stop. It, uh, once again, it, it interrupts the flow of what I'm doing. If I write a description of a person and then have to go and plug that into a spreadsheet, you know, sure, it maybe will take me 30 seconds, but I, you know, that's going to throw off my rhythm. And and I write very quickly. I on a you know on a good day I can do up to 2,500 words an hour. Um, oh. and, and so when I'm, when I'm on a roll like that, I don't want to interrupt it. Uh, so most of my stuff is in my head, um, which is funny because I have a terrible memory, uh, <laughs> but I, I read, I read through a lot of what I'm doing, you know, when I'm, uh, when I have a new character, when I have a character that comes back, I'll always go and find the last, you know, scene that they were in, make sure that the, the, the their descriptions are all consistent, uh, things like that. Um, but, uh, you know, one day I'll have an assistant who uh, can keep track of all this stuff for me. Uh, but until then, I kind of, it's a mix of, of that, of you know, uh, of memory and, you know, little notes in the side of my Scrivener file. All right. Uh, Richard has a question that I, I think I kind of know the answer of, but I, but I think there's, there's more we can give him than even he asked. He's based in the UK and was disappointed there was no hardback version there. And he wants to know if the author gets any real say or opinion on distribution outside of the home country. That, I mean, if you had your choice, your book would be everywhere, right? <laughs> yes. Yes, that's true. Um, so an author gets little to no uh, input on that sort of thing. Um, even in their own home country, uh, you know, it's it's if my U.S. publisher decided not to do a hardcover, then I don't have any say in that. Uh, it all depends on you know how they feel about the books, how they feel the last book sold, things like that. Um, my U.K. publisher, I sell predominantly an ebook in the U.K. Um, and uh, and they they basically said to me, "Look, we uh, we feel like." You know, we can reach a larger audience if we go straight into the the paperback, mm -hmm. and uh, that that'll be you know. And you know, it, they didn't tell me this, but reading between the lines, it's kind of a waste of time and money for them to do a hardback. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if they're only going to sell you know X number of them, um, and uh, and then have to you know remainder a thousand or something like that, they don't want to do that. Um, but uh, you know, I, I I got the UK numbers for last week uh, today, and uh, and it's you know ebook is still my predominant sales, uh, but I saw a bit of an uptick uh, by going to paperback. You know, in mm -hmm. the physical side. That's interesting. We just read a story this past week on the show about how uh, ebook sales in the UK specifically have gone down 4%, which doesn't seem like a huge amount, but we were trying to figure out why perhaps that is if more people are turning to physical copies like hardbacks or paperbacks or if more people are listening to audiobooks. Do you do you get any kind of sense from from your audience what what versions people prefer or just in, in the general sense of being an author and, and being in that world the the problem with that question is that i 
I, I only know from my own experience, uh, and I've, I've talked to a lot of different authors about these numbers, uh, and every single one's different. Um, I know authors who sell huge amounts in audiobook, uh, and then, you know, a smaller portion in, you know, ebook and physical. Uh, me personally, I, I sell mostly audiobook, and then, you know, a, a decent chunk in physical. Uh, and then audiobook is my last, or mm. I said ebook, ebook was my biggest. Yeah. Ebook was my biggest. Sorry, okay. and, and then audiobook is my gotcha. last. Um, and you know, every single author is different. Um, so in my own experience, you know, people that read these giant epic fantasies, uh, they like having the e version because it's easier to carry around. They're very heavy. <laughs> yeah. That's fascinating. Um, but you've also been working on a totally different project recently. Michael says, congratulations on the success of the Kickstarter campaign for the Powder Mage RPG. What makes you the most excited about the RPG project? Uh, will there be beekeeping in the RPG? <laughs> also, come back to Kansas City and I'll make you more of my awesome cookies. Uh, well, <laughs> there will there will not be uh, beekeeping, unfortunately. But you know that's that's a little hard to shoehorn in into an RPG. Um, but uh, so with the RPG, the the fun part of it is because I don't know the world of RPGs very well. Um, I played a, I played it RPGs when I was in high school, uh, and I really haven't since, with a few small exceptions. Um, and uh, and so when I was approached to, by the guy who became the consultant that works worked on this RPG with me, Alan Barr, uh, it was it seemed like a really cool opportunity to be able to jump into something different and you know explore it. Um, so I, I think the thing that I'm most excited about is that what I'm actually doing right now, I was working on earlier today, is I'm I'm writing the flavor text for the RPG, uh, which means I'm going you know really far farther than I've ever gone before in depth on like each of the countries. Uh, that's what I was doing today was the countries of the the nine nations that make up this you know European style you know coalition mm-hmm. um, of countries in my books, and I'm you know I'm writing you know, three, four pages on each of these. And some of them, I've only mentioned the names and there's no more backstory at all. And that's all, you know, coming up now. And, and it's actually quite a lot of fun. Yeah. That, that, that part of the world building, sounds like it would be a blast because you, you've got a little bit of a blank slate and you don't have to work it into a plot or a character. You can, you can just sort of go with, with a backstory. Exactly. You know, a lot of, a lot of writers will start writing because they love creating worlds. Uh, and, you know, the idea of narrative and character development and things like that don't, you know, that doesn't even come into it until, you know, maybe they go to a class on writing. Um, and so, and, and I'm not, yeah, I don't know if I was like that as a kid, you know, when I was, you know, 14, 15, 16, and I had started writing my own stuff. Um, I, I, I probably was a bit. And so that, that itch of being able to create something without having to worry about narrative is actually, you know, it's fun to scratch. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything else you want to share, something else beyond the RPG and, and future books that you're working on that you can talk about? 
Um, I, I don't have anything I can talk about right now. Um, so I'm finishing up book two of this series, uh, which doesn't have a title yet. Um, I'm finishing that up in the next two months. Uh, and then and it, it should be out uh, next March. You know, fingers crossed that I hit my deadlines. Uh, and then book three, the March after that. Um, beyond that, I have nothing planned, but I've got a bunch of ideas floating around in my head. I've got kind of a half-formed magic system for a new epic fantasy series. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have uh, a couple of side projects that I can't actually talk about yet, but hopefully I'll be able to announce at some point here in the near future. And we can stay tuned for, for updates on those things on uh, brianmcclellan.com? Yes. Perfect. And we can also follow you at Brian T. McClellan. I love your Twitter. You guys, your your antics with, with Sam and all those guys always crack us up. And I was really excited, too, to see the, uh, the maps on your website from Sins of Empire. Those look really great. Yeah, I actually, I got to do like like 10 minutes of a panel at Tucson Festival of Books just talking about those maps. Um, The guy who does them is Isaac Stewart, who is uh, the in-house art guy for Brandon Sanderson, and he's an old writing buddy of mine. Um, And he also did the maps for the first three books. Uh, But he just, you know, for these new ones, he, he went above and beyond. I just adore them. They're fantastic. Well, Brian, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Thank you very much for having me. And as always, our show is currently entirely funded by our patrons. Thank you to all the folks who back our show. If you want to go learn more, head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. And if you're looking for book ideas, things you want to buy, you can buy books through our links. That helps our show. We'll have Sins of Empire up there. I know other books by Brian McClellan are on that page. You can find all of them at swordandlaser.com slash picks. If you want to get in touch with us, our email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. The website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 4157-SWORD-6. We'll see you next time. Bye. Audio program so good, it's like you're there!